You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Cool. Well, this morning, I get to continue uh, our new series that we're doing called The Beginner's Guide to Predicting Your Future. The Beginner's Guide to Predicting Your Future. Uh, what would you say if I told you that you don't have to wait up until 2 a.m., turn on ABC2, and uh, call up a middle-aged woman, uh, middle-aged woman named Gypsy just to ask you, uh, just to ask her, you know, what your future holds, right? You don't need to do that <laughs> because Gypsy and her sidekick Candy can't really tell you anything about your life that you already know because, see, the vast majority of future events happen not by chance but because of decisions and actions. Your life, my life, the life of our community and its future exists within the realm of principles determination and planning. Let me explain. See if you can guess what happens next. There was this one time where um, I wanted to know that if I were to grab a knife and touch the knife on the red element inside the toaster, would the end of the knife get hot? Can you predict my future? If you said you got electrocuted and thrown across the kitchen, you'd be right, (laughs) right? I think my dad remembers that still. Do you remember that, dad? That's right, you're welcome. You said, you're stupid. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> Can you predict what happens next? One time uh, during work, I went and got flowers and I brought them home to my wife. Can you guess what happened next? Right? It was a good day, right? It was. That's where Abby come from. <laughs> Had my second kid after that day, right? Uh, guess what happens next? Uh, the, the, the week that we got back home from a honeymoon, back into the real world, I guess, uh, Kat walked up to me and she said, hey, can you put the clothes in the washing machine and hang the clothes out? I responded by saying, but isn't that, isn't that a woman's job? <laughs> can you guess what happens next? All right? Can you guess what happens next? Uh, that's why I only have two children, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it hurt, right? She made me cry. Uh, guess what happens next? There was one time where for 25 weeks, I put away $250 a week for 25 weeks. Can you guess what happened next? See, life is not a bunch of chance circumstances all coming together, but consequences of deliberate actions, right? This week, a lot of you went to work and you worked the whole week. And then what happened at the end of the week, your bank account was credited with compensation of your energy, right? And your time during that week, right? uh, Consequences of action. Uh, Some of us this week had to stop at a petrol station, not out of chance. It's not like, oh, I'm at a station. How did that happen, right? No, but because of because of circumstances, right? Uh, 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 you stopped there because you used fuel and so you had to fill up because of a consequence of action. Your future destination in life will simply be a, suff- a sum of consequences formed by action, right? The purpose of this series, I guess, is to look at our actions to see if we can form new and better consequences. Last week, Pastor John kicked off a series entitled The Principle of the Path. And we looked at, if you can look at, if, if from where you've come from to where you are now and draw a line, you can find out where you're going, right? You can predict your future by looking at where you're walking. Uh, remember that story of, of uh, uh, the, the, the Wizard of Oz, right? You know, uh, the, uh, Dorothy had to go and find the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. And so to go find him, she had to follow the yellow brick road, right? And when she, whenever she came off the road, she knew that she was going in the wrong direction. This morning, Pastor John's asked me to share on the thought, 
uh, the principle of followership, right? The principle of followership. Because it's not just, you know, where you're walking will determine your future, but who knows also those who you follow is going to determine your future. Another title for this morning that I want to call this is Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. Walking in the Dust of Jesus. And so we're going to look at three foundational scriptures this morning. We're going to unpack them and then uh, see where we end up. Are you ready? So if you're taking notes, uh, our three scriptures this morning are Matthew 4, 18 to 22, Matthew 9, 9, Ephesians 5, 1. They're on the back of the screen if you want to read with me. It says this, Matthew 4, 18 to 22. One day, everyone say one day. One day. Do you know that all it takes to have life change is one day? You know that all you need is one moment with Jesus and everything in your world begins to change, right? You might be here this morning and you might not feel like that you're in the right place that you thought you would be. I'm here to tell you this morning that all you need is one moment with Jesus today and your whole future changes, right? Because one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind, Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, said Jesus. So Matthew got up and followed him. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God in everything you do, for then you will represent your father as his beloved sons and daughters. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray that as we unpack your word this morning, that you will speak to us, show us what it means uh, to be followers of Jesus. Show, it, show us what it means, Lord, to have that impact of Jesus in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. See if you can finish this phrase. We'll come back to these scriptures soon. See if, see if you can finish these. Um, you are what you eat, right? Um, what you say is what you are, right? <laughs> what you say is what you are. The principle is this, right? That what you, right, you are what you eat. So if you put good things into your body, right, your body will respond in a good way, right? It will follow what's put in. If you put bad things in your mouth, your body will respond in a bad way. What you say is what you are. The principle is this, that just like you can't retrieve the rock after you've thrown it, just like you can't get back time after it's been spent, the same is with words. Once you speak something out, circumstances and situations follow what you speak. See, because success in life is determined by what our life is following. And so this morning, I want us to specifically, uh, specifically look at who or what are we following? Because who and what we follow will determine, who, uh, will determine where we end up. There was a social study done by a guy named David Burkus. And the purpose of the study was to find out how influenced we are by the people around us. And so uh, he did the study in some hot topics, right? Uh, a hot topic is obesity, right? A huge hot topic right now. What the study found was that if you have a friend who becomes obese, you're 45% more likely to become obese yourself within the next two to four years. They found that if a friend of your friend becomes obese, then you're 20% more likely to become obese yourself, right? The purpose is that who is in your group is going to influence you. 
they found that if a friend of the friend of your friend becomes obese, then there's a 10% chance that you'll become obese yourself. Smoking. They found that if you have a friend who smokes, there's a 62% chance that you'll become a smoker yourself. They found that if a friend of your friend smokes, there is a 29% chance that you'll become a smoker yourself. They found if a friend of the friend of your friend smokes, there's an 11% chance that you yourself will become a smoker. See, there's power in who we're following. There's power and influence. The same as with happiness. You know, If you have happy people in your life, you yourself will, will become happy. They found that if you have a friend who's happy, you're 25% more likely to become happy yourself. Meaning this, <laughs> meaning this, that a quarter of your happiness comes from one person. How crazy is that? Want to be happy this morning? Find a happy friend. It's a good thing, right? Because a quarter of the happiness that you want comes from people around you, right? Who or what you follow influences who and what you do. Okay, back to our scripture. What was it about Jesus that caused five guys to give up their careers, their property, their family, and future hopes to follow a guy named Jesus? Because when you think about it, it's crazy, right? Uh, Simon and Andrew, James and John, these guys had a fishing company, right? They would have had property. They probably had families. You know, they, they would have they maybe had a wife and a boat. You know, it's one thing to give up your wife. It's another thing to give up your boat, right? <laughs> so these guys, when Jesus says, follow me, you could imagine for a minute, you know, uh, Simon going, ah, oh, I've got to go tell Jackie. Ah, nah. Oh, the boat, hang on. <laughs> right? These guys leave literally everything to follow this guy named Jesus, Matthew was a tax collector. In fact, he had a very lucrative business. This guy would have been making serious coin. But at the very words of Jesus, come follow me, Matthew gets up and leaves his money-making machine. Why? I'll tell you why they didn't. They didn't follow Jesus because he was God. Because they didn't know he was God until later in the story. So what was it about Jesus that causes five people to give up everything to follow him? The first thing that we need to understand is that every single Jewish boy had one dream in life, and that was to be a rabbi. I think we talked about this before, right? Every young boy wanted to be a rabbi. To become a rabbi, you had to be unbelievably good at remembering the Bible. By age six, you had to memorize the entire book of Leviticus. By, right? You had to speak it out by memory, the whole book of Leviticus. Who can tell me the whole book of Leviticus off by heart? Anyone? Who knows where Leviticus is, right? <laughs> you had to do that by age six. If by age six you could memorize the entire book of Leviticus, you went to what was called, I guess, Jewish primary school for Bible college, right? And it, uh, that was called the Bet HaSafar. You would go there from age six to 13. Uh, at, in Bet HaSafar, you would learn the entire Torah, right? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. So from six to 13, you would memorize the entire Torah. If at six years old, you didn't know Leviticus, you were told you aren't good enough, you're disqualified, go back and do what your dad does. If by age 13, you didn't know the entire Torah off by heart, you were told you didn't make it, you're disqualified, go back home and do what your dad does. And so from 13, if you made high school, from 13 to 30, you would learn about the Torah and you would learn how to unpack the Bible. You would learn how to unpack the first five books of the Bible and how to question it and tease it out, right? 
And so it was the fantasy of every Jewish boy to become a rabbi. But here's the thing. Probably only 1% of the population ever became rabbis, which means this, that 99% of the Jewish male population were at one point in their life, either at 6, 13, or 30, told, you aren't good enough, you're disqualified, go home. Can you imagine what that does to a whole nation when they're told you aren't good enough? Jesus comes onto the scene at 30. From 13 to 30, we don't, not, we, we don't see much about Jesus, right? Because maybe he was at Bible college. But Jesus comes back onto the scene at 30, right? And people start calling him rabbi. What would happen then? Once you become rabbi, you would go back to the Bet Midrash, right? You would go back to the high school and you would wait for people to choose to follow you. That's what you would do. Jesus, though, does something very different. He doesn't go back to Bible school, right, and find uh, these Bible college students. Je- the Bible says that Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee and chooses for himself young men who at one point in their life had been told, you aren't good enough, you're disqualified, go home. But Jesus' as rabbi comes to them and says, follow me, right? In Matthew here, the reason that five guys give up everything to follow Jesus is because they were told at one, t- at one time, your dream is dead. What you wanted to do, you can't do because you're not good enough. But Jesus, this new rabbi comes onto the scene and he walks up to these guys who at one stage in their life were told you're disqualified and Jesus says, come follow me. I'm gonna make your dream come back to life. That's why they give up everything to follow Jesus because Jesus qualified disqualified people. I'm here to tell you this morning that all it takes is one moment with Jesus and those things that seem dead in your life Come back to life. All you need is one moment in the presence of God and those things that you thought snuffed you out and killed your future, when you have one moment with Jesus, brings it back to life. All you need is one day with the rabbi and everything comes back to life. You might be here this morning and you think that, you know what, I'm disqualified from happiness because what I've done in my past. I'm here to tell you, Jesus came. To, disqual- to, to qualify disqualified people. It doesn't matter how disqualified you think you are in life. Jesus says you're not. You are qualified for good things. Isn't that good news this morning, church? Jesus um, come from the Galilee region, right? There's the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus came from, I guess, about a 60-kilometer area around that region, born in Bethlehem, raised up in Nazareth, when he was 30, he moved to a city called Capernaum, uh, which was right on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus was in that area. Uh, fun fact this morning, Capernaum was the largest religious center in the world up until uh, 15, uh, 1500 AD, right? So for a long time, this was like the Oxford. This was the Cambridge of religious thought, and this is where Jesus taught, right? So Jesus isn't some back-in-the-sticks preacher Jesus was preaching in the Cambridge or the Oxford or the Monash of the day, right? Jesus was big deal. Jesus came from a region called Galilee. And in the Galilee region, there was two kinds of rabbis. The first kind of rabbi was this. He was called the Torah master. Everyone say Torah master. How cool does that sound? Who, who would like that, you know, like that on the end of their email, right? Torah master. 
you know. <laughs> be so cool, right? Caleb Porter, Torah master. Like, so cool. That was the Torah master. And these guys were like the best of the best at preaching the Bible, right? The first five books of the Bible. These guys were unbelievable. They could preach it. They could teach it. They could pull it out. And they could tell you so much about the Torah. The second kind of rabbi was called a rabbi with Samika. Everyone say Samika. Samika means this, a rabbi with authority. That's what it means. Now, these guys, now, if the Torah master was the master, these guys were like the Torah Jedis, right? These guys were unbelievable. In fact, one step further, if you were aware a rabbi was Samika, you knew the entire Tanakh. Everyone say Tanakh. Good together. Tanakh, right? The Tanakh is the Hebrew Old Testament, right? So a rabbi with Samika didn't just know Leviticus off by heart, didn't just know the Torah off by heart, but they knew from Genesis to Malachi off by heart. Jesus comes onto the scene and people start saying things like this. Jesus, you have authority. Jesus, where did you get your authority? People start asking him, Jesus, where do you get your authority? Because you seem to teach like you have authority. You know Leviticus, you know the Torah, you know the whole Old Testament off by heart. You must have authority. Where did you get it from? Now, for someone to be called a rabbi with Samika, two things had to happen. First of all, another rabbi had to baptize them. Then second of all, they had to have uh, someone lay hands on them and confirm it. And so people in the Bible started questioning Jesus, saying, where do you get your authority? Who did you get your authority from? <laughs> Jesus says this, it's quite funny. He says, remember that rabbi who was baptizing people in the desert? Remember John, John the Baptist? He was a rabbi, by the way. Uh, remember, he baptized me. So there's, so tick one, right? Box, tick one. Uh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, Jesus, we understand you got baptized by John. That's cool. But who anointed you? Who, who confirmed it? <laughs> Jesus says this. He says, remember when I come out of the water? Remember that time where the heaven opened, right? And where that booming voice came down and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And remember you saw the Holy Spirit come down and rest upon me, almost like he was laying his hands on me, right? That's who gave me my authority. God himself, mic drop, hashtag out of here, right? So good. And so Jesus, you know, baptized, given authority. Jesus is this rabbi with Samika. Another thing that rabbis with Samika were able to do was they were able to almost, I'm going to use this word in all its context. A rabbi with authority could distort what the scripture says. He could give new meaning to the scripture. He could pull out new understandings about God. He could show us new things about God that we didn't see in the text. That's what a rabbi with Samika could do. Uh, there's this one time, right, uh, a, example, where Jesus is preaching in this house and the house is full, and no one can get in. You know, no one can get in the doors, no one can get in the windows. But these four guys had a friend who needed Jesus to pray for him because their friend was sick, he was paralyzed. So they couldn't get in. So what they did was they climbed the roof, ripped open the roof, right, on this house, and lowered this guy into Jesus' feet. Jesus goes, what the, right? Or in Hebrew, I don't know what the hell, no idea, right? Whatever it is. <laughs> Jesus says, Man, this is crazy. These guys, they, they wanted to get in. Interesting, Jesus does this. First, he heals the guy. Jesus heals the guy. The guy gets up, right? And then something crazy happens. Jesus says this to the man. He says, hey, listen, you have no faith. But your four guys, they got faith. They're cool, so you're saved, right? How crazy is that? Can Jesus do that? This guy didn't pray a prayer. He didn't go to church. He wasn't in a life group. Yet Jesus says, right, hey, you're saved. Not because you asked for it, but because you have really cool friends. How cool is that? Jesus changes context of Scripture just to get someone saved. 
There's this one time where this woman is caught in the act of adultery, right? Meaning just that someone was there, (laughs) crazy, right? She's caught in the act. And they bring her out to Jesus. And they say to Jesus, Jesus, what do you say we should do with this woman? The reason they ask that is this, they're trying to catch Jesus out. Because the Old Testament, right, the Tanakh, the Torah says this, that if you're caught in the act of adultery, if, if you were caught in the act, right? She was caught in the act, this wasn't rumor. No one came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, Janine has been sleeping around. You know, <laughs> I hope there's no one here named Janine this morning. I'm not spreading a rumor, right? <laughs> if this wasn't a rumor, this, this, this woman was caught in the act. They brought her out to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what do you say? Because the Bible says we have to kill her. Check out what Jesus says. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. We do have to kill her. She was caught in the act. Everyone, get your stones. We've got to kill this woman. And then he says this. He says, but you know what? You know, what about you can throw stones if you have never sinned? He changes the rules because he's got authority. The Bible says that people start dropping their rocks. People start walking away. And he looks at this woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Because here's the thing. In Jewish religious court, you needed two people to condemn someone. Jesus says, where are your accusers? She says, they're not here. Jesus says, that's right, there's only one here. And you can't, con- you can't condemn someone with, 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 with just one. And you know what? I'm going to go one step further. I don't even condemn you. Go, sin no more. Jesus had authority. And he had the authority to make it really simple to find freedom. Freedom of sin, freedom of death and freedom of embarrassment. See, Jesus wasn't so much caught up in upholding religious rules, but about people finding freedom, faith, and salvation within the rules, right? And so 12 guys start following Jesus. Why? Because everything Jesus did brought freedom to people. Jesus was unlike any other rabbi of his day, right? First of all, he gave the 12 guys a second chance. I'm here to tell you this morning, that a second chance is right here, right now. The second reason that they followed Jesus was because this rabbi had authority and he was doing some crazy things. He was bringing people back to life. He was healing paralyzed people. He was multiplying food. He was giving brain-busting sermons. He was controlling nature. Like, why wouldn't you follow this guy? Another reason that they followed him was this. Like what I said before, Usually the rabbi would have to go back to the Bet Ha Midrash, right, back to the high school. What would happen is he would stand at the front and he would wait for people to choose him, right? So the rabbi would wait for people to say, I'm going to choose you. Another reason that the, that the disciples followed Jesus was this. Jesus flipped that whole thing on its head. And instead of going back to the high school and waiting for people to choose Jesus, Jesus went back to the sea to disqualified people and chose them. This was not kosher, right? This was not what rabbis did. But Jesus went out and chose them. John 15, 6, Jesus says this. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, right? I want to tell you this morning, right? You don't choose Jesus. Jesus chooses you. How cool is that, right? God Meaning this, right? Meaning this. The kindness of God is not dependent on our salvation or us choosing Jesus, but the kindness of God is Jesus choosing us to lead us to salvation. Or another way to say it is this. God doesn't wait for us to be good before He's happy with us, but He is happy with us 
just because he's good. How good is that this morning, right? There's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God. Who knew Whoopi Goldberg was right, right? There's nothing that can separate you, no mountain high enough, right? There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus. Why? Because He chooses you. There's a book in the Bible, uh, Hebrews, um, chapter 11. After this, go home and read it. It's quite fascinating. Uh, Paul writes about these people of faith, right? In the Word of God, right? This is the Word of God in the Bible. God writes about these people of faith. And he starts saying things like, you know, by faith, Cain did this. By, by faith, Noah did this. By faith, Sarah did this. Jacob did this. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. By faith, Samson. You know, by faith, David. And this book, uh, Hebrews 11, goes through all these great things that these people did. Can I tell you what else these people did? Noah was a drunk. Sarah laughed in the face of God. Jacob was a liar. Moses was a premeditated murderer. Rahab was a practicing prostitute. Samson slept with another woman on his wedding night. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then went and killed, went out and killed her husband. Here's what fascinates me about Hebrews 11. You don't see their sin in the book. For this reason, God cancels your sin. That's the reason. When you encounter God and have one moment with Him, it doesn't matter what's happened in your past. All that matters is that now you've found God and your path changes. How cool is that? Hebrews 11 isn't a testament of how good these guys are. Hebrews 11 is God preaching about how good He is. That it doesn't matter what's happened then, all that matters is what's happening now and how God's going to change then. It's so good. You might be here this morning and you're like, you know what? I still feel disqualified from my past. I'm here to tell you that your book is being written right now and your ending can be different just by knowing who you're following. Just by having one moment, one encounter with Jesus and your past is no longer recorded. Because God qualifies disqualified people to do extraordinary things. It doesn't matter what happens in your past. God just says yes to you. And He likes it. He likes you. Isn't that good news this morning? So I guess the next question is this. What does following Jesus look like? Right? If who we follow influences us, Right? And we, we saw these guys follow Jesus because of certain reasons. And, you know, if they're the same reasons that we can follow Jesus, what does following Jesus really look like? I'll say this. It looks dusty. It looks dusty. There's this book called the Talmud. Everyone say Talmud. Pretty cool. That's going to be my next kid's name, Talmud. The Talmud is like a concordance or a commentary on the Bible, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's a Hebrew commentary kind of thing on the Old Testament. You know, it's kind of like expanding the Word of God. That's what it is. It's kind of like the expansion pack. It's the add-on. It's the plug-and-play kind of thing, right? That's what this book is. In this book, in, 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 in the Talmud, there's this guy by the name of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva says this. He says that when you're following your rabbi, you should always be covered in the dust of your rabbi, 
and drink from his cup like you're thirsty. The idea was this, right? Remember last time you walk on the beach with the sandals or, you know, a dirty robe? And you know how your sandals, they flick up? They flick up the sand, they flick up the dust, right? Gets all over your legs, whatever. The idea was this. The idea was that if you want to be a good follower of your rabbi, you would walk so close to him that as he walks, the sandals flick up dust and it gets over your robe or your pants or your legs. And so people could see how close you really were to your rabbi. That was the idea. The idea was that if you wanted to be so close, you would get dirty with the dust of your rabbi. But here's the thing. There's so much in life that distracts us from spending time with Jesus. It's so easy to be covered in the dust of other things, isn't it? You know, if following the rabbi is all about getting dirty, because, you know, in, in, in terms of there's an effect, right? There's an effect of following Jesus. How is your life affected by following Jesus? That's the real question, right? The next question is this, what other things are influencing your life other than Jesus? Right, what are you getting dirty with? For example, uh, the average Aussie watches three hours of TV a day. If you work in an office, you'll spend two hours on email. All of us here will spend roughly about an hour each day surfing the internet. That means that pretty much six hours a day we spend getting the opinions of other people. It means we spend six hours a day following trending information. It means that we spend six hours a day getting dusty from sources that we're following. Right, the question this morning that I wanna ask us is this, what dust are we covered with? What dust gathers on us? Are we close enough to Jesus that other people notice? How are other people defining us? Check this one out. Are we more like Jesus today than we were last year? I think these are great questions that we should be asking ourselves every day, especially that last one. Am I more like Jesus than what I, than what I was yesterday? If you wanna know how dirty you are with Jesus, if you wanna know how dusty you're getting, Ask these questions. Ephesians 5.1 says this, be imitators of God in everything you do, then you will represent your father as beloved sons and, daughter, uh, as sons and daughters, right? Um, another thing about the disciple, right? He, he would follow the teacher, right? And he'd, and he'd get dusty, you know, the robe would get dusty and, and you, could, you could tell if someone was, was close to their rabbi by how dusty they were. But here's the other thing about a disciple. Um, a disciple um, didn't want, a disciple wasn't interested in what the rabbi knew, right? A disciple wasn't interested in what the rabbi knew, right? A true disciple didn't really want to know what the rabbi knows because a true disciple knew that information or knowledge in itself doesn't lead anywhere, right? Disciples of rabbis, they didn't really want to know what the disciple knew about God because information is pointless unless it's practical, right? What does knowing more about God do, right? Even the devil knows about God. In fact, the devil himself knows more about God than what we do, right? Satan knows about God. Information is nothing. What the disciple really wanted though was this. 
to be like the rabbi. Because there's a difference between knowing about Jesus or being like Jesus. The Bible doesn't call us, Paul doesn't call us to know about God and what we do. He doesn't say, hey, have knowledge about God because knowledge in itself is pointless. But Paul is saying, hey, no, 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 it's more than knowing about God. We have to be like God. We have to imitate the rabbi, right? Jesus calls us to be his disciple, which means this. He doesn't call us to just come to church and get information or go and look at podcasts of other preachers and find, find the, five, the, the, the best five minutes of their message on YouTube just so we can be entertained. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. He is calling us to pick a rabbi and be like him. That rabbi is Jesus, right? He's calling us to be like him, to be imitators of Jesus. But how can we imitate him if we aren't walking so close to him that it affects us, right? Where in our daily routine are we finding time to walk in the dust of Rabbi Jesus? That's the real question. Where in the daily grind are you spending time in the Word? Because if Jesus knew Genesis to Malachi off by heart, should we at least be reading our Word? <laughs> right? You know, if Jesus was this rabbi with authority and doing great things in his community, shouldn't we be doing that? If Jesus was bringing freedom into people's lives, shouldn't we at least be attempting that? Right? We need to be imitating Jesus and following him. Um, I bought a motorbike about six years ago, six, seven years ago. And uh, the week that I got back to Mackay, um, I joined this Christian motorcycle gang because I know when you look at me, it's because you're scared, right? I'm John Mackay. And, um, and so I joined this, this uh, Christian, Christian gang, whatever, and we went on a ride. Now, it was my first ride, so I've got to be a little bit honest. I was a little bit intimidated, right? Because I didn't have the confidence. I was only a new motorbike rider on the road. And so we rode from Mackay, where I was from, to a place called Serena, which is about a 40-kilometer ride. And just before we left, the leader of the pack said, hey, guys, keep up. Um, I'm going to do some detours. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Cool, motorbike riding, 30 other guys. Yeah. So off we went. About 15 kilometers in, I was a little bit intimidated and, 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 and wasn't as confident as them. And so I found myself at the back of the pack. After about 20 kilometers, I found myself so far back that I could just see the last rider in the distance. And I thought to myself, man, I better catch up. I'm not going to know where to go. And so uh, I went a little bit faster. I didn't tell my wife that. Uh, I went a little bit faster to catch up to the back of the pack. And as I, I, I lost sight of them for a bit, but and then pretty soon I saw the two riders at the back. And so I was catching up. I'm like, okay, this is good. I'll just stay back a little bit. We got almost into Serena and I saw these two riders pull into the service station. And I thought, that's a bit strange because we all filled up back in Mackay. And so I'm like, okay, no worries. So I pulled into the service station. I couldn't see any other riders, but just these two riders. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't matter. I pulled right up beside them and I said, how awesome is this ride? This is fantastic. This is awesome. Things got a little bit awkward. When they turned around and took off their helmet, and I had no idea who these people were, right? And they looked at me, and the guy said, what? What ride? Now, I did what any sane person would do in that situation. I took off, right? I just got out of there. I hit the highway and just rode. I rode about two kilometers so they couldn't see me. Took off the road, and I called the people, hoping that they were off their bikes at that stage. 
find out where they were. I called them and, 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 and someone answered and I said, where are you guys? And they said, Tim, we're at Hay Point. We turned off. Now you gotta understand, Hay Point is 20 kilometers back in the opposite direction. So I'm nowhere near where I should be. I got lost because I followed the wrong person. <laughs> it's so easy in life to find yourself in the wrong place because we followed the wrong people or the wrong circumstances. It's so easy to follow the path of anger, right? My wife knows that one, right? <laughs> After this, I'm running, okay? <laughs> it's so easy to follow the path of insecurity. It's so easy to follow past hurts. It's so easy to follow dead dreams. It's so easy to follow offense. It is so easy to be covered in the dust of other meaningless things. Whatever we follow, that's what we become dirty with. And we find ourselves in places that we never wanted to be. All because the dust of circumstance or other people's opinions got on us instead of the dust of Jesus. Jesus says, follow me to five guys. And they give up everything to follow Jesus. You know, right now, Jesus is saying to us, follow me. Why should we follow Jesus? Number one, Jesus gives us second chances. That's a good reason to follow him. If you need a second chance this morning, say yes to Jesus right now. Why follow Jesus? Because he qualifies disqualified people. You might be here this morning and think that you're disqualified from happiness and having a happy life. No, nah, he'll qualify you for that. Number three, why follow Jesus? Because he has all the authority. His name is greater than any other name. It doesn't matter what other names you have placed on yourself or other people have placed on you. Jesus' name is bigger. Jesus' name is greater. That's why we should follow Jesus. Why should we follow Jesus? Number four, because He's good to us no matter what our past suggests. And number five, why follow Jesus? Because whenever you feel lost, Jesus is the yellow brick road. You might be here this morning and maybe you feel lost in life. I want to pray for you. Maybe you feel like, you know what, life isn't where I thought it would be. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to give you a moment where you can have that one day when Jesus was walking at Five Prince Street, he called to you and said, come follow me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 